Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. It's a massive privilege for me to welcome you this morning. Uh, We are busy with our Luke series and I am tackling the part three today. Um, And I will be chatting uh, about Luke 9 to 19. So Henny spoke last week about Luke 1 to 9. Um, And, you know, his focus was very much on who is Jesus? Um, You know, who is the Son of God? And essentially Luke 9 sort of ends off with Jesus asking his disciples, uh, who do you say I am? And, And Peter then responding saying, you are um, you are the Christ. You are God's Messiah, um, and and you know and 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 it's such an important thing to to know that who Jesus is. It's it's one of the most important things that that we could do is to know who is Jesus, to know that He is the Son of God, to know that He is the Anointed One, that He is the Messiah. He's the Christ, but. That is, I don't think that is the ultimate call. It's just to know who Jesus is. Because if we look at scripture, even demons know who he is. Um, And in fact, they're very scared of who he is. But what is the thing that that separates us from those who just know who Jesus is? And, and And I would like to say that is us that follow him. Right? There's a big difference than just knowing who Jesus is. But there's, but there's those of us who know Jesus and follow him. Uh, those of us who know him, know who he is and are his disciples. Right? And, and that's what I want to speak about today. Is this big topic of discipleship. Um, and, and there are, you know, most of us know of a lot of people that have been hurt by Christianity, where people say, you know, if Christians are like this, then fill in the blanks. I don't want to be a Christian. Um, and, and, you know, those, those people are not hurt because God is not good. They're not hurt because he is bad, but they are hurt because Jesus was misrepresented by his followers or by the people that claim to be disciples, people that claim to be Christians um, misrepresented him, um, and I, and I think all of us, of course, want to represent Jesus well. We want to be good ambassadors of heaven. Um, so my wife and I and JB, we love watching MasterChef every now and then. And um, don't worry, I'm not going to give any spoilers. I think we're far behind, anyways, but that's okay. Um, we, but one thing that I really love about MasterChef is every now and then they introduce these um, these celebrity chefs, right? These these people that are just on on the top of their game, top of their careers, like one mastering fire, one mastering this, one mastering that. Um, and and what's always so cool is like they bring in this clash, um, and uh, and then there's this big aha moment of when the clash is lifted. Right, and the clash is lifted, and there's this insanely intricate, difficult dish, perfect, just standing there, and you know the jaws are dropping, and the contestants are freaking out, and then the challenge is called out that you don't get a recipe, 
and you'll be cooking along with this creator of this dish, this chef. Um, and what was really cool for me is, you know, thinking about this, how similar is our journey of discipleship? Um, you know, we, we, definitely, we definitely don't get a recipe in that sense, but we are very much invited to come along and follow, right? To come alongside Jesus to see as he do- does, we do. Uh, as he says, we speak. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I want you just to sort of almost imagine if one of these contestants had to sort of decide, I'm not going to listen to this Oak, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, you're definitely going to have a dish. You will have a dish, but it will not be close to what that chef put forward. Um, and, and that chef is the creator. Like he is the professional. He is the only one that knows how to duplicate what he put down there. Um, and I think in the same way with Jesus, like what he calls us to and what the purpose of our journey is, only he can replicate. Only he knows how to do that. And we have to follow. We have to be obedient. And so based on this example, I really want to look at the contrast of how important it is to, as a disciple, to be obedient. In fact, you can't have discipleship without obedience. It is impossible. Um, And I want to even ask you the question, and that's even something you can write down for yourself. But the question is, if discipleship is based on obedience, how good of a disciple am I? And if you're answering this uh, and you're saying, like, maybe I'm not sure what you mean by obedience or anything like that, then I want to look at the next few points and just maybe, like, look at what is obedience and how that goes hand in hand with discipleship. And I want to kick us off on Luke 9 uh, from verse 21 to 26. And it starts with Jesus. He's predicted his death, um, you know, and he was told that he's the son of God. And then he says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is Jesus' call for being a disciple. But before he sort of lays down this call for being a disciple, this journey, he says he lays down his entire journey of his life and his purpose on earth. And he, he starts with saying that he must suffer many things. And then he says that he must be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests. And these were Jews. These were his people. So he's saying, I must, be, I must suffer many things. I must be rejected by my own people. And then it says, and he must be killed. And on the third day, 
you will be raised to life. And for most of us, we know that that is exactly what happened in Jesus' journey. But then Jesus moves on to his disciples and he says, and in fact, not just his disciples, he says, to them all, he said, uh, whoever. And so Jesus is talking to everyone. Like, if you are alive and you are hearing him, he's speaking to you. And he's saying, whoever wants to be my disciple. And then he gives these instructions. He says, they must, number one, they must deny themselves. And another word for that, that the Greek sort of explains it a little bit better. It says, to disregard his own interests. And then the second one, he says, take up your cross daily. To take up your cross daily. And, you know, on... And that also just means like on behalf of God's cause um, to cheerfully bear persecutions and troubles and distresses to carry, you know, to carry the almost like the, the hard things in life joyfully because it's for the Lord. And then the third one is to follow him, to be with him, right, to, to learn from him, to talk with him, to, to be one with him. And if we look at verse, back at verse 24 and 25, um, you know, it says that whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And Jesus is saying here that losing your life, dying, is inevitable. Like in both of those scenarios, you, you see someone losing their life. So it's not necessarily the fact of dying, but what Jesus is putting emphasis on is that he's saying it's who you die for that matters. It's what you die for that matters. So if we had to rephrase that, like Jesus is almost saying that the way you live will determine the way you die. And then verse 26 almost just echoes that. Um, where he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And Jesus is saying that, you know, the one you embrace, because he's saying, if you are ashamed of me and my words, like he's speaking of himself and of his, his words, if you, if you embrace me and you embrace my words, I will, I will not be ashamed of you. But if you don't, if you don't re regard me, if you're ashamed of me and you don't obey my words, I will be ashamed of you. And, and that's what will count, is that obedience, that acceptance of Jesus. The number one, that acceptance of who he is and then that obedience to what he says. And this brings me to my second point, is the cost of obedience. Because obedience requires us to say yes to something and no to something else. Um, there's always a choice that is involved. Otherwise, you wouldn't need obedience because you would be forced. But um, whenever we say yes to something or no to something, there's a cost. We're saying no to something else, right? Or yes to something else. There's a cost involved. Um, and, and we see this cost like really strongly from Luke 9, from verse 51 onwards, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him 
because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked the Lord, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus rebuked them and they went to another village. And so we, in, in this little piece, we see Jesus um, setting his face towards Jerusalem. We, we saw earlier Jesus laying down his journey of, I must go suffer, I must be rejected, I must be killed, and then I will be resurrected. Um, and, and Jesus, knowing that, practices ultimate obedience in the this, in this scripture. It says, like, as a time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The one translation says, like, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Like, nothing was going to change his way. And then, like, what's interesting is Jesus enters into this village and the village did not welcome him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And I think many times, you know, we, we can respond in a similar way towards Jesus because we have our village. Like, we are perfectly fine where we are at. And then Jesus enters our village, but he's not staying. He's set his face towards Jerusalem. He has decided he is going to Jerusalem. And we don't agree with that. Because he's going to Jerusalem, we do not welcome him. And, and, and this is one of the first challenges we see in terms of the cost of obedience is the destination of where the Lord is going. Like when he doesn't align with our destination or with our dreams or hopes for the future... Do we welcome him still or do we? And I think the beautiful thing to see here is that, you know, Jesus rebukes James and John for wanting to call down fire and brimstone and judge the people. In fact, it just says that and they went to another village. And why? Because Jesus is not coming to the village for the things that's in the village. He's coming to the village for the people. He's coming for you and me. And he wants followers. He wants people who can follow him completely. And that's why he's there. And, and, um, and so that destination, like the Lord will go where he wants to go. And we must be obedient to follow. And then the, it goes on in verse 57 and says, As they were walking along the road, now going to next villages, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And this guy ticks that box of destination. He's like, Lord, wherever you go, I go. Like, I'm following you. I'm with you. Don't stress. Like, we got to do this together. But then the Lord says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Jesus takes on this topic of comfort. This, this cost of obedience regarding comfort. And he says, like, you know, that where I'm going, there might not be comfort. There might not be money. There might not be a sense of security in life. It might not be an easy life. And this is not just financially, but the Lord is saying that along the way to where I'm going, like, I'm not, promise you, I'm not promising you an easy life, not a scot-free life. And, and this is one of the costs of obedience, of that comfort, is we lay that down for who the Lord is. 
and and that that brings me to my third point and and this is the hindrances of obedience and you know like sometimes certain things like destination sometimes we can see the bad things of like for example following our own ways or we can see the bad things of relying on comfort but the difference between the hindrances and the costs of obedience are the hindrances are good things these are things that are not necessarily wrong to want or to have in life but we also see these being hindrances for our obedience if and if we look at verse 59 Jesus, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus calls and the man answers, but let me first go and bury my father. And like I said previously, like these things are good things. But the one thing that we see that stands out here is the word first. And this is the big thing about hindrances of obedience is what is our priority when it comes to obedience? What are the things that we prioritize? And he says, like, let me go and bury my father. Like, this is obedience to me. This is my priority. But what's interesting is he's not talking about a funeral here. He's talking about, I want to go live with my father until he dies so that I can gain that inheritance, so that I can gain that financial gain gain that security, you know, in a sense, maybe even honor my dad in his burial and all of that. But And all of these things are yet again good things. But the thing that makes this wrong and the thing that makes this disobedience is the priority of it. Because the Lord calls and says, follow me. And he says, Lord, but let, let me first. And the Lord then says, like, let the dead bury their own dead. And he, what he's actually saying is like, let the dead, the physically dead, be buried by the spiritually dead. Meaning like you, you who are spiritually alive, what is your call? Your call is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That is your call. And then he moved on and he said, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And and this again, like it sounds so harsh, like I just want to go say goodbye to my family, but that's not really what's being said there. Like, But again, we see this response from the man saying, I will follow you, but first, let me go back. Let me say goodbye to my friends and to my family and, and my social status and my reputation and you know, all the, all the things that I've built up like in my past and the things that I, I value. Let me first go and like um, the Afrikaans is upskate. Let me say goodbye to these things. Um, and let me first obey these things. Then I'll come and obey the call to follow you, Lord. And the Lord then, then says something also like, no one put, who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's a call that when we follow, there's no looking back. There's no looking back to that, you know, to your previous sin, your previous life, your previous friends. Like we follow the Lord wholeheartedly. We obey that call and we stick to our obedience. He becomes the priority, not our past. 
And, and then Jesus actually, right after this in, in Luke 14, Jesus actually says again what he said in Luke 9. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I, and I, I know, like, you know, a lot of us probably, like, ha- hanged on the word hate. Like, wow, that's, that's hectic. Like, hate my brothers and my sisters and my mother and my father and my wife and even myself. I thought we not allowed to hate. And, and like, Jesus is actually not contradicting his word. The Greek translation of it is meseo. And the actual meaning of it is, is to love less. Now, if we look at it, it says, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not love less his own father and mother and wife and children. You see, Jesus is not saying, don't, don't have a wife, don't have a father, don't have a mother, don't have kids. Uh, he's not saying, don't love yourself. I mean, his second commandment says, love others like you love yourself. He's not contradicting himself, but what Jesus is warning against, he's saying that none of these things can ever be loved more than you love me. I have to. I have to have the first love place in your heart. And, and what he is warning against is because when that love is not in place, when you love something else above me, it is only a matter of time where you become like the other person who says, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Like, I really love you, so I really actually want to follow you, but I love my family more. I'm going to turn back and go say goodbye. Like, I, I really, you know, I really love you, but I, I need to first look after my dad, make sure my inheritance is sorted, and then, like, I'm all yours. And the Lord says, if you don't love me more than all of these things, you cannot be my disciple. And then it says, like, count the cost. It says, determine the cost. Um, who, you know, who tackles a building? Like, who buys a house? Who, you know, who tackles something without planning whether I'm going to finish it or not? You know, you, you, when you're driving somewhere far, you, you check your petrol because you can see before it goes empty, you know when to fill up so that you don't run out of petrol on the way to your trip. You plan. And the Lord is saying, like, I want you to put these things on the test. I want you to count the cost. I want you to count your cost of obedience and say, are you willing? Are you willing to love me more than all these things in your life? Are you willing to follow me 
even all these things fall away and it's just me, are you willing to still follow me? And I, I guess the, you know, that question, because I know all of our hearts like cry out and say like, but I, I, I want to follow him better. I, I want to love him like that. But how? I, I don't know how. How, how do I increase my obedience? How do we become more obedient to the Lord? How do we follow Him better? And I think the easiest way is to look to Jesus. And I know this sounds like a, you know, a Sunday school answer, but it really is true. And it's not just in a sense of looking at Jesus, but Jesus models this exact thing that we are looking for. Jesus models for us the ultimate obedience he models the he becomes the ultimate disciple if you look at it um, the one you know he knew there was death he knew that there was suffering but still he chose to set his face towards jerusalem he chose to love himself less to use that same word of that scripture like he chose to hate himself and endure the cross, be obedient to the cross. Why? Because he loved the Father and he loved us so much more than his own flesh. He loved himself less so that we can receive full love. He laid his life down on that cross. And, you know, for Jesus, that cross signified a curse. It said, curse is he who hangs on a tree. Um, it was it was sin, it was punishment, it was condemnation. But for us, when Jesus is saying, take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus is not saying, load on your back suffering, load on your back, you know, like these lashes and stuff. No, he did that. What Jesus is saying is, Put, take up your cross, meaning like, take up my forgiveness, take up my redemption. Look to, my, look to my sacrifice. Look to my salvation. Why does he say that? Because he says, if you deny yourself, if you let your own ideas, if you let your own interests go, and you, look, and you take up my cross, you take up my salvation, my redemption, it becomes quite simple to follow me. Because if we constantly carry this beautiful grace this beautiful love this, the be- most beautiful thing that the lord could have ever done for us he showed us this insane love that he had for us if we carry that with us every single day how can we not follow him how can we be disobedient and i think that is you know that's the call just for every single one of us is you know where where have we where have we allowed ourselves to maybe say, Lord, like, you know, I've been following you for a while, but, you know, just hang on a bit. Like, I just need to do a few things for myself. Or I just need to do this. Or maybe you're on the other side of things that you have never even responded to the call of following him. And I just want to pray for us. And, you know, I, I really trust that the Holy Spirit will really come and minister to us and as we enter into like the holidays and you know into the new year that we would really come to the lord and say lord i want to i want to walk out of this year 
free of myself. I want to deny myself and I want to take up your cross and I want to walk into this, this new year. I want to walk on this Sunday. I want to start walking and following you again. Lord, because your word, your word promises, you say that, come to me those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. And learn from me, for I am humble and gentle. And, and yeah, I just want to pray that over us. Lord God, we, Lord, we honor you for who you are. And Lord, we know that you love us, Lord God. And we, Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God that, that doesn't stand, Lord, with a whip and that doesn't stand as some type of dictator and says, like, do this, do this, do this. No, Lord, that you, that you call us, Lord, and that you say that I will, I will model it. I will walk it with you. Lord, our call is to follow you, not to just do but to follow you as you have done. As you lived, you call us to live, Lord. Lord, and as your children, Lord, as your people, as your disciples, as your followers, Lord, we, we want to love you intimately, Lord God. We, we want, Lord, our obedience towards you. We want it to reflect our love for you. And thank you, Lord God, that it is not, Lord, it is not from the law where it says that your love is based on our obedience. No, Lord. You gave us love first. You, you loved us fully first, whether we obeyed you or not. And out of that full love that we have received, Lord, we have the massive privilege of now being a disciple, being obedient. It is a joy, Lord. It is not, it is not a difficult task, Lord. It is easy when we weigh the love that you have poured into our lives. So, Lord, thank you. Lord, just for those who feel like, Lord, that somewhere or somehow, Lord, they have turned off the road or they have been disobedient, Lord, or they have, they have maybe missed a little bit of following you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are just calling them back, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are just yeah, calling them back to yourself and, and just saying, follow me now, follow me. Lord, and give them the courage, Lord Jesus, to take up their cross. Let us take up our cross daily, Lord. Take up everything that you have done for us, Lord. And may we walk with that. May we follow you, Lord, with that. Then, Lord, I also just want to pray for, for those who actually don't know you, who has never responded to your call to follow them, Lord. Lord, and we just thank you, Lord God, that in this moment that they can just bring their disobedience before you, Lord, the places where they have disobeyed, Lord, that call. We can repent of that, Lord, and say, Lord, forgive our sins. We want to deny ourselves in that place, Lord. And we want to say, Lord, from now on, from now on, Lord, we, we want to take up our cross and we want to follow you. We want to know you. Lord, thank you that you are good. Thank you, Lord, that you are working in every single heart. Thank you for these holidays and thank you that you are with every single one of us, Lord. Pray your protection over every family, Lord, every person that's traveling. And thank you that you bring our, um, our families and all of us, Lord, back home safely. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. 
For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.